0: What's up, Zoe? Uh, Appreciate you for joining the podcast. Uh, My first question for you will be, let people know who you are and uh, what you have going on for the community.
1: So my name is Zoe Lewis. I am a lot of things to a lot of people. I work at a private Christian doctor's office in College Station. Um, I'm the business manager of Wolf's Pro Clean. And I am um, on the leadership team for Arise, which is a local nonprofit racial reconciliation ministry. So um, for Arise specifically, our goal is to unite the body of Christ and um, be a good ally for those that have been marginalized or oppressed. So that means coming alongside um, minority communities, all minority communities and giving out scholarships, and educating people in general, like all races, about our history and um, just promote unity and community through different events. Um, we're about to do a panel in the end of February, February 27th, the Black Women's Panel. We've done three so far. The first two were, um, we gave a platform to Black men because, you know, in the wake of 2020, we didn't hear from black men. Everybody else had an opinion about what had been happening and the brutality and the overt racism that was finally on display, Mm -hmm. Um, but we weren't really hearing from black men. And so we thought it was really important to give them a platform. And then um, we had a panel for AAPI women. So Asian Americans, um, Pacific Islanders. And that was really great because again, that's another, minority that doesn't really have a voice Mm -hmm. and it's a pretty big demographic here in college station because of the university um so we thought that was really important and now we're finally doing a black women's panel which i'm super excited about
0: yeah that's dope well thank you for that i definitely feel like you are very important very important in this community and i'm glad i do have the opportunity to know you for my second question i would like to ask uh, what do you believe we can do to have a stronger Black community here locally?
1: So, this is probably going to be—I might ramble a little bit, so you can you can cut me off.
0: Okay. Um, but no, it's your time of time. You go and tell people. <laughs> let people know what you got to say. You know.
1: So I feel like in in the society we live in, in general, we are focused on self. So, like, if I am successful and I quote unquote pick myself up from my bootstraps, you know, I made it. Mm -hmm. I'm not really incentivized to, you know, go help others from where I came from. And I feel like that's the mindset that we have to break, um, specifically in minority communities and in our Black community um, here in Bryan College Station. So, when you have communities that are living in low income, low SES areas. First of all, you don't have time for extracurriculars. Um, Usually the education system is waning or not as good as it could be in those communities. Um, And you don't really have like great role models. You don't have successful people staying in those communities to help build it back up. So we need successful, men and women of color and just minority-owned businesses to invest in these communities, either through scholarship programs, through staying in those areas mm-hmm. and um, giving job opportunities and, I mean, um, and ally, allying with the education system.
0: Yeah, not really, uh, uh, but um, the staying in your areas, that is definitely a big part. Cause i feel like we have so many um talented people and just like uh very educated people and you know people great at so many different aspects of life who have came from brian college station but so many of them live in like houston dallas austin or even overseas on another state and it's like dang it'll be dope to have you as a black person be that example for the next generation of black kids like, I know it's kind of a lot to ask people to do that because, you know, they have their own lives to live. But, I mean, just imagine if Martin Luther King was as selfish, you know, and was like, okay, I see people got it going on. You know, I'm good, but I can be greater if I leave and go somewhere else. So I feel like a few of us got to stay back and actually, you know, look out for the community. Because if we don't, where are we going to be at as a community, you know, the next 20, 30 years?
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, um, you look at white flight, which was like that phenomenon that happened in the 1930s when the government mm-hmm. was giving out all of these loans, um, but the contractors only allowed white people to buy these homes in these suburbs.
0: Mm-hmm. So you
1: had all of the white people move. So you had these places that no longer were maintained, um, all of the businesses left, which means all of the opportunities left for furthering, you know, furthering yourself like job-wise, and then because of the lack of funding, because all of these white people left, you had the education system kind of decline. This is where like redlining and stuff came from. And that's, I think, I mean, redlining is still a thing.
0: Yeah, because like redlining is only what if you think about it, maybe two or three generations out there, right?
1: Yeah, not yeah, that so long ago.
0: Yeah, it's definitely still affecting present day time. I definitely agree with that. Um, Another question I have for you is, what is your outlook on politics, uh, specifically local, and do you have anyone you're looking forward to in the current races?
1: So I'm, I will clarify right now, so there's no misunderstanding, Um, Arise is an apolitical organization, so -hmm. when I speak about politics, this is me, myself, Zoe Lewis, this is no, um, like, effect on my work with Arise, I'm not, you know, Arise doesn't have a political agenda. We don't support mm-hmm. one specific candidate. So I just, as a disclaimer, I will say that.
0: No, no, um,
1: <laughs> so I identify as an independent because um, I'm very anti-party, if that makes sense. I don't think there's one party that embodies all of my belief systems. Um, and, you know, I always tell people, vote your convictions. And, you know, I can't say that one specific party holds all all of that for me. Mm-hmm. Um, my goal in 2022 um, and hopefully working with you is to motivate people to vote because historically um, minorities don't have a great turnout to the voting booth. And it's like, okay, well, if the people in power don't represent us then how was anything going to get better you know yeah so i am um locally i was just looking at there's there's this really cool website i'll remember the name later but it had like a list of all the candidates running and locally if um i think in most of the races democrats are outnumbered or there's not any democrats running at all yeah Uh, so i don't think like our local terrain is going to change any, which isn't surprising given uh, where we live um, and that historical precedent. But Mm -hmm. what I'm looking most forward to in 2022 is the governor race, because Abbott's running again. And I'm supporting Joy Diaz. I don't know if you've heard of her. She She was a teacher. And her father was a missionary in Mexico. And um, I think she used to be an anchor for some news outlet at um, UT. Like, I don't know if it was for the college or if it was for Austin, Um, but like her stance on just immigration and seeing people as people um, Mm -hmm. really speaks to me and just her open-mindedness, I really appreciate. Um, And I don't think, again, if, if the people in power, the people at the top don't represent you, then the trick of the trickle down effect won't work. So yeah. if we can turn, I say we, and I just said I don't identify with the specific <laughs> person, but if we can turn the, gov- the governor, um, the governorship, and then the lieutenant governor um, to at least a more progressive candidate who's open minded, and not, you know, attempting to push things through like what we saw happen last year. Um, like, I'm all for it. I'm, I'm really, really going to focus all my efforts this year on getting people out to vote. Um, I don't. Have you looked at the propositions on the ballot?
0: No, I haven't seen any yet.
1: Let me, let me read you some because these okay.
0: make
1: me, these make me nervous. I screenshotted them. I saw them and I was like, this can't be real.
0: Just educate me.
1: Okay, let's see. Okay, so proposition number six, committee chairmanships. The Republican-controlled Texas legislature should end the practice of awarding committee chairmanships to Democrats. Um, There was another one. Proposition number nine, education. Um, Texas parents and guardians should have the right to select schools, whether public or private, for their children, and the funding should follow the student.
0: Mm. This kind of speaks
1: to the white flight we were talking about. Yeah. Um, there's also one about limiting. Um, it talks about sex transition in minors. There's um, one about election laws and it's pushing, Mm -hmm. like, the voter fraud agenda, which Mm -hmm. we've seen, if you look at the statistics, like, the instances of voter fraud are not... um,
0: As big as they're trying to make it seem.
1: Exactly. It's not a problem. What you're doing is disenfranchising minorities,
0: Yeah, especially in Texas. (laughs) From what I'm saying, more, to be honest, the majority of them have been, like, from Republicans, you know, actually trying to cheat. And so that's why I'm like... Can we just let people know who's cheating? Like, can we make it more public of who's cheating so, you know, we could be more transparent to know where this is coming from? But of course, they're not going to do that. They're just going to try to, like you say, push an agenda.
1: Okay, listen to this one. This one made me hot. Okay, proposition number four, education. Texas schools should teach students basic knowledge in American exceptionalism
0: Mm. and
1: reject critical race theory and other curricula that promote marxist doctrine and encourage division based on creed race or economic status Mm. just let that sink in
0: yeah no that's horrible especially the race and economic status and just them having the word critical race or the whole slogan critical race theory so you know that's not taught in any public school especially in texas there's not been one positive case of them finding. Anybody teaching critical race theory in Texas? No, what it's become—it's
1: become code. Like critical race theory has become, and this again, this is my opinion. This is not this does not reflect on a rise at all. But critical race theory has become code for Black history.
0: Yeah, Uh, and then what did you say? American exceptionalism. Yes. Yeah, that's definitely that. To me, that sounds like whitewashed history. (laughs) Like it's just a nice way to say it.
1: That sounds like a communist, like America has not always been exceptional. Like we're supposed to do better. Again, we have to go back to America has never been great for everybody.
0: Exactly. From the beginning. Since since I like to bring Christopher Columbus up so much that he found it. Since Christopher Columbus brought his dirty self over here, America has never been uh, good for everybody, you know?
1: Okay. First of all, he was a rapist and a murderer and he landed yeah. in the caribbean like, <laughs> and we still have a holiday named after him and now it's right like it. a teacher work day
0: yeah and yeah and we teach kids about it the the wild thing like why are we still lying to children but yeah. well and
1: then that's the that's i mean that's the crux of the problem i was taught like i'm about to be 10 years out of high school, I was taught in high school that the Civil War was fought over state's rights. <laughs> like,
0: yeah, this exactly. happened.
1: But I'm taught about Christopher Columbus and how he founded America.
0: Yeah, and like, then it's like,
1: you...
0: it's like state's <laughs> rights over what?
1: I know, oh, it's the incomplete own sentence.
0: <laughs> yeah, you don't even finish it. Like They fought over state's rights what rights did the southern states want was it the fact that they like to own black people and they could have them do free labor no that couldn't be what they were fighting over especially not in texas when they basically seceded from mexico over the same reason so yeah it's definitely weird how they word history on purpose to try to teach kids that yeah and i
1: don't know just the teaching around slavery and the war. like there's there's so many issues with it in general but So we're, we're of the same mind on that. And then proposition number one is border control. Um, They are proposed, I'll read it to you. In light of the federal government's refusal to defend the southern border, Texas should immediately deploy the National Guard, Texas military forces, and necessary state law enforcement to seal the border, enforce immigration laws, and deport illegal aliens.
0: Mm. There's a lot of people we need to deport first. <laughs> Majority of them are Hispanic. We need to, I believe deporting races, races first to wherever they originated from would be a lot better than deporting uh, Mexicans or any other Hispanics coming through uh, the Mexican Texas border. That's my personal belief. So I'm pretty sure a lot of people won't share that.
1: Well, I mean, a lot of the immigration that is happening is because of the US meddling in Central and South America, um, like political issues. I lived in Honduras as a kid for like two to three years. And the year after I moved out, there was a coup and the US, this was under the Obama administration, the US flew out the then president as the government was being taken over by the military. So and now, um, and I think 2009 was the year that Honduras became like the most dangerous country in the world that was not at war. Like Tegucigalpa, the capital city was the murder capital of the world.
0: Mm. Yeah, not surprised. especially after hearing about, I think, Haiti. I was uh, looking at something that happened in Haiti and it's like, wow, America really does have their hands in a lot of people's uh, cookie jar. And we just don't know about it.
1: Yeah, it's sad, but I will I will say um, my little piece about immigration living living there um, and like just seeing what abject poverty looks like, like mud huts, no shoes, you know, malaria, stuff like that. Um, people that come to the US, mind you, it's a long, long way. Mm-hmm. And these are mothers and families. Um, that don't feel like they have any other choice because either they can't make money they can't support their families or themselves and you know people are dying I don't think these are like they're not criminals they just want a better life and we have the privilege of you know being born here so I think using just the term illegal alien is so dehumanizing like we need to see these people as people
0: you no, know, I definitely agree. And I feel like, especially in Texas, knowing how – knowing Texas history, because Texas was never a part of the U.S. Texas was a part of Mexico originally, and they literally uh, seceded from Mexico because um, Santa Ana was like, hey, no slavery. And they were like, oh, yes, we're going to do slavery. We're going to join the other U.S. – southern states, and we'll just be with them so we can do slavery like they're doing. So I'm always – if any state, I'm always for open borders for Texas. Cause it's like, y'all should never close the borders in the first place. They should close the borders on y'all before y'all got a chance to close it on them. And so now I'm like, yeah, open the borders. I definitely believe immigration that should be a process, but I don't think it should be a strict process. Like we have so much space in Texas and people don't like it. There's what we have 49 states you can move to.
1: Yeah, no, I, I do believe that there needs to be organization structure. Um, but, like, immigration has always been a part of our mantra in the United mm-hmm. States. And it's like, how can you be anti-immigration when all that's of it. you are <laughs> immigrants?
0: <laughs> Thank you. Where do you think your grandparents came from? And, and you're telling them to go morning. back to
1: their country? Like
0: Exactly. It's wild. It's, it's just, uh, like, I, I, what's the word you call? It? Privilege. They say they don't have any privilege, but that's, that's a pretty prime example of privilege right there to me. I have another question for you. Um, so you being a part of a Arise, uh, what do you think the community could do to help build your program?
1: Um, come out, show up. We yeah. have book club twice a year. So we have a spring season and then we have a fall season. Right now we're going through Strength to Love by Martin Luther King Jr. Um, We meet every Tuesday night, we do in person and on Zoom, um, and it's an opportunity to get together with like-minded people and grow. I know my favorite book so far has been um, The Color of Compromise by Jamar Tisby, Um, and in it, this is one of my favorite quotes ever, Um, so the book is basically, he's examining the history of the United States and the history of the church in the United States and the history of racism in the united states and um like through a historical perspective like a non-biased historical perspective Mm
0: -hmm. and
1: he's identifying oh look well this action you know by the church or the church's complicity equated to this law or these people being oppressed so it's really it's really eye-opening because you know when you say systemic racism you don't automatically like it's hard to come up with examples if you don't know your history um but my favorite quote from that book is racism is prejudice plus power
0: like mm. think about
1: that because you know people will say when i've had conversations about race racism with people they'll say well everybody's racist it's like no everybody is prejudice
0: yeah racism
1: comes with being with having power and then adding prejudice atop to that, like yeah. I was like, "Oh, Trudgesby, it,
0: it was so good." Yeah, that's so, dope. Because I had that conversation with people. Uh, I've had that conversation with people a lot. They're like, "Black people can be racist too." I'm like, "Be racist towards who?" And they're like, "Racist towards white people." I was like, "So, what part of America do black people, black people, black people have enough power where they can make life hell for white people?"
1: Mm-hmm. And implement mm-hmm. a system of oppression and marginali- marginalization to the point that it affects the black family unit and mm-hmm. just the mindset of black people. Like,
0: mm-hmm. and they literally have no answer. Like, well, well, yeah, exactly. Like, words. I'm big on words actually having a meaning. Like, i' like you know, words mean something. You just can't say a word and then be like, oh, it stands for this. Like, no, 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 it no. does he does it. Like, you just can't say that. So you just can't be like, oh, you're racist. And like, okay, prove it to me. How am I racist? Like, show me how, how can I be racist? If you can't do that, I can't believe what you're saying.
1: I'm um, always, it's it's the actions for me. Because people can talk all day and they can have conversations with me, but it's actions. And it's also who you support, who you elect to represent you. If mm-hmm. you support someone who openly is comfortable um, inciting white supremacist
0: mm-hmm. that is a problem yeah
1: like when January 6th happened I was scared I saw the noose I saw the confederate flag mm-hmm. I was scared and I was like why did I have a child why yeah. am I raising a child in this environment like I was scared
0: yeah, it's still, it's still scary from seeing it to this day because, like, so you tell me if a group of white people came and ran through my house, like, how long is it going to take y'all for y'all actually to, you know, hold them accountable because that's literally a federal, that's not just any federal building. Cause I know people make a comparison like, oh, they burnt down uh Minneapolis Police Department, which come to find out that I was a white person, so it's all part of what y'all do, you know, some people could say, but um, as far as that man got in trouble, though, he was held accountable and he got in trouble. But as far as people going to the actual um, thing, I lost in my head what the building was, but the Capitol, yeah, people actually going when well, no, I was trying to think of the building, but yeah, people going actually at the Capitol, being there going inside the building, actually trying to stop what was happening, us getting our new president and whatnot. Well, we already had him, but all the paperwork, actually them trying to stop that. It's just so wild to me, you know, you still have people who are there who are not in jail. You still have politicians who attribute to that who are not being held responsible. You still have Trump who did millions of things. He's still a free man, you know, and you can have some regular regular citizen go out and get pulled over for marijuana. It's like, oh, you gotta go to jail. And it's like really taking this person to jail over uh, something that's growing on, on earth. But we literally have proof of what people have done on camera, and they're just out free because, like, of course, you smoking marijuana will hurt more people than uh, ins- insurrecting uh, a capital building. You know?
1: Yeah, I know. It's been it's been a wild few years. It's been very <sighs> eye opening and very yeah, scary that. at the same time, which is yeah. why, like, I know both of us have the mutual goal of like motivating. <laughs>
0: yeah minority yeah.
1: communities to vote because again I mean racism affects every facet of life and mm-hmm. I mean that includes the judicial system
0: It mm-hmm. includes your housing situation yeah. it includes a lot of things so yeah I'm definitely big on educating and conversation I think with those two things we can get a lot of change but I had another question for you um so, so yeah I know you mentioned kids earlier, I was wondering, what is your idea to prepare uh, black kids specifically low income black kids for a better future? You know, if you come out of a hard situation, and you might not have those certain avenues that are offered to uh, other kids. Uh, what is your advice to uh, help kids like that? Get in a better situation?
1: Um. I think that starts, again, we were talking about education. So it starts with restructuring infrastructure and funneling funding into communities that need it because Mm -hmm. kids need to socialize in a safe space. Kids also need to have, um, like I said before, role models and opportunities to grow. Mm -hmm. Um, So that could be like, you know, expanding education funding to include you know after school programs and things like the boys and girls club and expanding libraries and um just yeah
0: yeah, yeah i guess did kind of already answer this question i guess i never really thought about it
1: yeah no it's, it's okay i don't mind answering again um but again i feel so i took a developmental um lifespan psychology class and in it, I don't know how many times it was reiterated. So kids tend to grow up like into their environment. So, you know, mm-hmm. you are what you're around. So as the community, we need to change what they're around. We need to change oh what God. they see. And I know, um, cause I've been like, most of my adult life I've been low income and I've had to work two or three jobs. Um, so I I know the restraints that you have as a parent. Like I have to work. Mm-hmm. Um, what am I going to do with my daughter? Like I I want her to have all of these opportunities, and I want her, you know, to see different things. I I you know I want better, but mm-hmm. and I think that comes back to changing the minimum wage.
0: Yeah. yeah.
1: Just to match inflation, like.
0: Just Agreed. so people
1: can have a livable wage and be able to, um, you know, do better for their families. And that includes like health stuff. Um, and that also includes education and just like other, other opportunities to grow. Cause when you're low income or when you're a single parent family, you really don't have those opportunities. Cause you're worried about, um, you know, putting food on the table and, you know, is my baby going to have shoes? Yeah. Yeah. So you have to kind of shift the infrastructure before things can really change. And I mean, that means motivating the community to act and work together, which is a hard thing to do.
0: Yeah, I agree. Cause I feel like old used to say, um, I forgot how they used to say it. But basically like when, you know, uh, communities would be like a family, you know, everybody looked out for each other. And, like, you know, sometimes some parents aren't able because they're single parents or they might work two or three jobs, even if they're not single parents. They're just trying to make ends meet. Um, So it it is good to have maybe a cousin or aunt or even a close friend who can kind of help out with your child at times. So I feel like it's the community's responsibility to make sure the kids of the future are taken care of. And I wish our community uh, would have – would hold themselves more responsible to make sure we get that accomplished. We're,
1: we're
0: gonna get there. We're yeah, I agree. It. Yep. I'm very optimistic for the future and what we're gonna get. So that was my um last question for you. Do you have any questions for me?
1: Um you wanna babysit?
0: <laughs> I'm probably the worst babysitter, so yeah. No. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Yeah. Thank you for definitely um coming to the show. I really appreciate it. Um and thank you all for listening to Black in My City. Have a good one.